Darius Baxter, dear brother, my 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 new friend. Hopefully, I can call you my new friend because I, I there, there there's some fanboying and admiration that goes along with what you do in the world. But I want to ask you, what's your revolution? What is my revolution? What is my revolution? I imagine a world where poverty doesn't have to exist. And I guess there's a narcissism to that, but what entrepreneur isn't a little bit narcissistic. But like I firmly believe that I've been placed here on this earth in this period of time, um, in this city, uh, in this body even, um, to create a world um, and to develop a model through good projects um, that shows what it means to, to rapidly raise entire communities out of poverty. Can I have your attention for a moment? What's good, Revolution? Welcome to the What's Your Revolution show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the revolution within themselves, where people can find and embrace the revolution within themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corporal. As we say here, what's good, revolutionaries? What's good? You know, I usually say, I hope that you are well, but you know what, right now in this world, I don't know if many of us are well. And, you know, I want to give... Condolences, right? We've been saying that. Condolences and prayers. My, my thoughts are with you, but as you know, we're tired of saying that, right? We're tired of saying this to families and communities across the world that have been marred by tragedy. And by the time that you listen to the show, Buffalo and Uvalde will be entrenched in our minds, right? To see senseless killings that happens in our country because we have not figured out what it means to, right, have people check before they buy arms. Too many people have died in this country. Too many children have died in this country at the at the hands of people who should not have arms. And so I want to give a shout out to those families and those communities who are struggling to make a way out of no way right now. And please know that we here at Western Revolution love you and are beside you. And if we need to stand in front of you, we are here with you because no one's revolution should be able to walk into a grocery store or walk into a school and take the lives of folks. We are here to make sure that all of Americans, all of our people, black, brown, white, whoever, have the ability to live a revolutionary life, to be able to thrive, to, right, to build generational wealth, to have happy communities, right? To wake up in the morning and say, you know what? I get to go out and do what I wanna do in the world. I get to fulfill my revolution. There's no way. So I ask and implore you to contact your local politicians, your regional politicians, your national politicians and say, look, something has to change. Too many lives have been lost. So please make sure that you're going out and making that your revolution in the future. You know, I talk about this platform and what this show is. And it's funny, my guest, you know, I, I love to get to say my, my, my slogan. I get to interview dope black men doing dope black ish, but you know, I don't say ish. Um, I get to talk to wonderful men who are changing the world, wonderful black men, right? Who for some reason in their mind see something that needs to be shifted in this world, something that needs to be shifted in our communities. And they don't sit on the sidelines, revolutionaries, right? And I have implored you not to sit on the sidelines. When you see something that needs to be changed, find the entrepreneurial spirit within you and say, this is my revolution. And if you've listened to this show, the 136 episodes of this show, you know that the men that I get to interview are some of the most prolific men in the world. And this is just an ordinary day on the show because I get to interview Darius Baxter, 
right? Hey, ain't nothing ordinary about Darius Baxter, man. <laughs> uh, I, I love that. I love that. You know, uh, one of my frat brothers, uh, Jarvis DeBerry, says that, you know, black men are just ordinary, right? Because we, we have been made to be extraordinary and we do great things every day, right? It is an ordinary day for a black man to do a great thing, right? And so that's why I say it's ordinary because it's ordinary for me just to have a dope ass brother on this show. And so Darius Baxter, CEO of Good Projects, and we're going to talk about what that is, but I got to give this brother his flowers, right? All of the luminaries that he is, 2021 Muhammad Ali Humanitarian Award. And my folks at Camelback know he was Forbes, 30 under 30 in 2021 as well. You know, all, over, all the things over, I, can, I can go down. And, over, overrated. Overrated. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm Stephanie's son. That's my proudest accomplishment. Hey, man. hey, hey. Nothing wrong with that. Bertha and Charles, man, uh, are my family, man. So I, I definitely know. Darius, dear brother, thank you for all you do in the world. Let me ask you this question. How are you? How you doing? Uh, I'm a little tired right now. And I'm going to be honest with you, uh, Dr. Charles. Uh, it's been, we've had one hell of a run at Good over the last 12 months and even longer than that through the pandemic. Um, I put my head down to the grindstone and just went through, but I'm human. And I think one of the greatest things that, that I've been able to do with the platform that God has provided me with is to be a testimony. Like, I'm tired. I'm tired as hell. I've won a lot of awards. We've raised a ton of money. We've had a shit ton of impact. Um, have been able to feed hundreds if not thousands of families um but yeah it's, it's wearing on me a little bit so I'm, I'm actually preparing to go on vacation on sunday so this is one of the last things i'm gonna be doing before i, I take about three weeks off and and, and reset and refresh mm. brother thank you for saying that um and i want to just dive into before i ask our signature question because i think it's important when we do the work that we do right yeah we pour ourselves into it becomes it's it's our life's work it is what we do in this world but it's not easy. No, it's not, not by e any stretch. It, it's not easy at all. And I love what you just said. I I am tired, right? And you 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 are one of the most intellectual brothers that I've ever studied, right? That that have been on the show. I just listened to you and over over time and all of your interviews, and you're you're quite astute. So you know what I'm saying with the, the term of John Henryism, right? When we're leading organizations, right? Leading organizations, impactful organizations, we tend to put them on our shoulders, mm, yeah. <laughs> right? We tend to put them on our shoulders, dear brother, and we carry the weight, not only of our staffs, right? But the people that we work with, right? And you're working with some, you know, some people who say, look, we're looking to you, Darius, to lead us. And that weight, and so... I applaud you for saying I'm tired and I applaud you for saying that I'm going to take some time off because you cannot, you cannot pour from an empty cup, dear brother. You cannot you pour, cannot from, an pour empty from an empty cup. Certainly. Well, at the end of the day, I know where my strength comes from. Uh, I'm a believer through and through. And when you look at the story of creation, even, even God took a break on the seventh day. So, you know, <laughs> I don't think I got, I don't think I'm omnipotent by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm like, if God, if God need to take a break and shit, I'll take some time too, man. I ain't mad at myself. And I think if more people recognize that, then, you know, I think we'd be a lot better off. But no, everybody needs rest. It's literally ingrained in who we are as human beings, man. There's nothing wrong with taking a little bit of time. Yeah, no doubt. And I have been saying, um, July and August of this year is my time. I've been I have been running uh, like you, entrepreneur, real estate investor, working for a wonderful organization at Camelback Ventures, taking care of two wonderful, loving but elderly folks. You know, that same thing. I'm tired, and I I, I promised myself two years ago I was going to take a break. I didn't take it. I promised myself last year I was going to take a break and didn't take it. But July one, dear brother, I will be breaking. 
and I, I, it doesn't matter what I have to do, I'm going to take this time. So thank you for leading the way on that, dear brother, and, and showing us. Darius Baxter, dear brother, my, my, my new friend, hopefully I can call you my new friend, because I, I, there, there, there's some fanboying and admiration that goes along with what you do in the world. But I want to ask you, what's your revolution? Mm. That's a good question. Golly. Uh, what is my revolution? I imagine a world where poverty doesn't have to exist. And I guess there's a narcissism to that, but what entrepreneur isn't a little bit narcissistic. But like, I firmly believe that I've been placed here on this earth in this period of time, um, in this city, uh, in this body even, um, to create a world um, and to develop a model through good projects uh, that shows what it means to, to rapidly raise entire communities out of poverty and to put them in positions where they can be self-sufficient. Um, it's been done. It's definitely been done at scale um, in the past, but hasn't been done to the extent that we're doing it at Good Projects. Um, and I firmly believe that if I do what I need to do, if I continue to listen to God's voice, that when we look in 2030, we're not only going to shift 500 families out of poverty that are living in the Southwest public housing community, um, but ultimately we will have produced the model uh, that can be used anywhere in the globe um, to shift historically poverty dense communities um, to self-sufficiency. Yeah, that is a beautiful revolution, dear brother. You know, we see we see poverty. And before I even ask, before I even go into this, right, tell us, tell, because we, ha we might have this idea of what poverty is, right? But tell us, right, can you define poverty? Because poverty is a social construct, right? We construed what poverty is. But what is the definition of poverty from your perspective? You know, poverty for me, first and foremost, starts with the mind. Um, there's a lot of people that have millions of dollars in the bank that are still living in poverty. Uh, it's, it's a shifting of the mindset to understand that anything is possible, uh, particularly as black people in this country. We've been sort of bred, quite literally bred, to believe that there's certain things in certain places that we can't go and things that we can't achieve. In um, the work that I do with Good Projects, some of the biggest investments and in the biggest work that we do is trying to help people understand, like, and again, like, I, I'll keep it relevant to where we are here in Washington, D.C. We're in the nation's capital. We're in one of the richest cities in the nation's capital, in the richest countries in the world. There is no shortage of resources and opportunities in this place. You have no excuse. Um, and this is not to negate the effects of systematic inequality because they exist. Uh, but you have no excuse not to be successful. Um, here we are in the land of, and this is something that people debate with me all the time, but by the grace of God, I have my own opinions. Um, here we are in America, where there is so many stories, and I'll give you a specific example. Why are there so many stories of people coming from other countries mm. that come to America with just a few nickels in their pocket, not a place to live, no support system, no resources, but then they go on to start businesses, to become billionaires, to do amazing things. But it's people that have been in this country for hundreds of years, that generation after generation continue to find themselves in a cycle of poverty. Um, it comes down to the way that we view ourselves and we view ourselves in this context. Um, the work that we do obviously works. We make investments in the three major buckets, youth, family, and equity. And for the sake of this conversation, I'll talk about equity. So Please. we're working every day to try to break down the barriers that exist to keep young black kids um, in this city um, in poverty. But at the end of the day, that's only about 25% of the battle. Like We have to believe, and I did, you know, I'm the product of poverty. I'm the product of poverty mindset. 
I've been homeless in my life. I've experienced the death of loved ones at a very young age. Um, but I made a decision through the guidance of my mother and what she impressed upon me that I could be better and I could do better. And obviously, I took a lot of turns along the way, <laughs> tons of them, uh, still make mistakes to this day. Um, but there's not a day that I wake up at, proudly at 28 years old that I don't believe that anything is possible and that I can achieve my wildest dreams. Um, it just so happens that my wildest dreams includes bringing an entire generation of young people that are growing up in public housing with me. So, Brother, you, you know, thinking about this and, 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 and you tweak the, the, the doctor's mind when you talk about this, this mindset, right? This, this poverty mindset. But when you see right deleterious things that happen in communities day in and day out right shifting the mindset can be tough right it can be tough but with the right resources like you said right having a strong parent right the, even even says some of the people i've talked to some of some of my frat brothers and friends would, would talk about i grew up in a setting that could have been impoverished but i never knew that i was poor i never knew that i was in poverty because the surroundings around me never let me see that right as a means that something was wrong or i was different right my parents poured into us as much as we could and i didn't come from a house of means as well we were a lower middle class family my mother was a, a school teacher my father was a, a school principal they provided you know the, the the necessary things i couldn't go out, hey dad i want that baseball glove well you gonna have to work for it because we can't afford it um but that mindset that comes around it, right, is is important. So really, really thinking about that. And there's a percentage of our, our population, right, right, DC, New Orleans, our, our major cities, right, that are struggling to find, right, an outlet to to move. Whether it's our the the failures of our education systems, right. I've done a number of. Uh, pieces, written pieces around how black men are hampered in our education systems and how that leads, as you know, the school to prison pipeline and those different things. But what you're trying to do, and I want you to talk about that, is shift that mindset and shift opportunities. What does Good Projects do from an organizational standpoint that is going to move 500 plus families out of poverty? You know, first and foremost, build community. You know, uh, I want to just just speak on one point that you already mentioned, and that speaks to when we talk about shifting of the mindsets. I, I don't know every city in this country. I'm not going to act like I do. And when I get behind mics, I'm not speaking for New Orleans. I'm not speaking for New York. I'm not speaking for L.A. I'm not even speaking for PG County. I'm speaking for Washington, D.C. Uh, we are here in the nation's capital and we have black leadership at every level. Um, we have black banks. We have a black mayor who's been in power for several terms at this point. Um, we have a majority black count, well, not a majority anymore, but we have black people on the council. We have black ANCs. Um, we've had black police chiefs. We have black lawyers. We have black teachers. We have black chancellors. We have black school board educators. We have black, what else, doctors. <laughs> we have black uh, oh, yeah. ticket cops. We have black, <laughs> like, yet we still have one of the highest poverty rates in the country. Should I say that again? Say it again, brother. Put it out there. <laughs> we got black everything yet still have some of the highest inequality in the country. Should I say it one more time? I want to make sure that people people can hear me. Uh, like we can continue to point the finger uh, outside of the house, but as eloquently Brother Trayon White always says, you know, a house divided is a, a house divided against itself should surely crumble. Right. Um, I walk out into a city every day not pointing the finger at the white man, not pointing the finger at hundreds of years of systematic inequality. I point the finger at my peers 
and ask the question, what can we be doing more? Uh, at the end of the day, we all we got. Yeah. Uh, but yet still we find ourselves, and this does stem from systematic inequality, we find ourselves in a position where we still are not fighting every day for one another. Um, we're not going above and beyond to ensure the success of the least of not even the entire world, but just even the people that look like us, that sound like us, that come from the experiences and the places that we do. Um, Good Projects is working to build community, to show people that at the end of the day, this is not a zero-sum game. There's no individual in creating prosperity for black people. Uh, at the end of the day, if one of us fails, then we all fail because everybody got a sister, mother, and a cousin. And I know, shit, I, I do pretty well for myself, but I know it's a lot of people in my family that sending me cash app requests, and I can't deny. Like, <laughs> just that that chain connects across our entire uh, community. Like, we all have to rise together, um, and if we don't do that, then we surely will fall at the end of the day. Dear brother. You know, the the interesting thing in what you're saying is that, and, and maybe and tell me if I'm wrong, is that we as a community, because that's what you're saying, we Good Projects is, is building community. And I, and I talk about this all the time, the power of communities. But I, I feel like what you're saying is that there are two communities, right? Or, or there are numerous communities. There is the community that you're trying to build and uplift to move them out of poverty. And then there's another community that may be looking down and saying well that's not me that's not my people that's not that's that's not where i reside and so why why do i have to care about that is that what i is is that what i'm hearing because i i feel like if we're creating generational wealth because that that has become the hot term right this this i want to create generational wealth but generational wealth if we if we think about our ancestors right if we, we think about the communities in africa generational wealth was one that was passed down not just to the family it was passed down to the entire nation, right? And that, that the, the wealth of communities was what made our nation so powerful. But I, I feel like what you're saying is that we, is there a potential that for those of us who have moved in stations, we're not giving back enough to provide the means to move some of our community out of situations that are not healthy for them. Certainly, and I'm not, I'm not here to point fingers or anything like that. At the end of the day, we all were bred, and I was told it too. You know, you got to make it out. Make it out and don't look back. Uh, get out the hood and go buy a house in the hills. Like, we've all heard that statement at the end of the day, and it's one that I subscribed to very early on in my life. Just look at my journey. Like, through everything that I went through in my childhood, my mother fought and clawed to make sure that I didn't have to experience all of the things that were going on in the 90s D.C., like I was blessed to be able to go to some of the best schools in the area, private schools at that, just so that I could make it out. Um, and I took the choice when I was 17 years old. I didn't go to HBCU. I went to a PWI. Mm. Um, I found myself at um, Georgetown University, and I thought that I was doing what we were all taught to do. You know, I was playing sports, so I found my opportunity to go to the Ivy League level school. And for a lot of that journey, I had already convinced myself that, you know, I'm going to go to Wall Street. I'm going to go be a consultant uh, and I'm going to get rich. And <laughs> like I'll be able to buy a nice house and start a family for myself. But the closer I got to graduation, I started just realizing more and more and more and more and more. Like, why is it that me as a young black man, having experienced everything that I experienced in my childhood from the, the death of loved ones to homelessness again to you know, eating grilled cheese sandwiches and ramen noodles as a staple in my diet. Like, why am I here with all of these opportunities? Why am I the exception? Why am I the 1%? Like, 
I'm tired of telling that story. Like my story should be an example of what is possible, which is one of the reasons why I threw all of that away in my senior year, decided to go to Anacostia High School and host our first camp and good projects that has now turned into this amazing flourishing business. Flourishing business. So anytime, and this is, again, God has blessed me to have a testimony. I don't ever get behind the mic and tell people something that I wouldn't do. Leaders sweep the floor. That's what I say. Mm-hmm. Like, the say end that of the day, say look that again. Leaders sweep the floor. Like It's like, at the end of the day, I've been able to live this beautiful journey, and I can only hope that along the way it inspires somebody to realize that, you know, we all, it's not a choice to go back. We have a responsibility to yeah. go back. Like, just think about how many brothers um, like ourselves that have had the opportunity to go and create amazing lives for ourselves at early, at young ages. Like, go and get great educations, have great opportunities, and we take those and we go to a Greenwich, Connecticut and make Greenwich, Connecticut better. Or run off to New York and make, uh, you know, help gentrify Brooklyn. Like, but just imagine a world where we went in the same way these white folk do we went stole the education stole the resources stole the tools and I used still in a very loving kind and compassionate way and then brought it back to the places where we come from and did that at volume not just as sort of a one-off there's no reason a Darius Baxter should be hailed the way that I am mm-hmm. like what am I doing like just really think about that like just I'm serious yeah, just think yeah, about no, that for a second funny. Dr. Charles like I am a nationally I am a nationally recognized philanthropist at this point. Mm-hmm. Nationally recognized. Mm-hmm. I am booked and busy. Scheduled booked all the way through November already. And what if, what like at the most basic level, what have I done? I'm a young black man that decided that I wanted to make my community better. I run youth programs and do things for, and do things for adults. There's 50 million and one organizations across this country that are doing the exact same work that I'm doing. But why am I celebrated? Because it's such an anomaly that somebody through everything that I went through made the decision to go back to their community. There's no reason that I should be the exception. I should be the example for what is what is called upon all of us from these communities. Mm-hmm. But it's not the case. And that's one of the things that I struggle with every single day. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> Hopefully my voice doesn't fall on deaf ears. It does, this not. Podcast. It, it, it does not, dear brother. And and I, I love that because we started this show talking about ordinary, right? But But in essence, we are extraordinary in the work and you are extraordinary right in thinking that and thinking and doing because what i heard interesting right on your andrew yang video is like you're a doer many of us have many of us have these these wonderful ideas out in the world right i want to do this i want to do this right and they sit on the shelf darius right they sit on the shelf right they they, they as i say they leave their revolutions on the shelf the one thing that you didn't do was leave your revolution on the shelf. You and you said, I want to go back and I want to implement this, right? But what you're saying is that you want to implore more of us to take the revolution off the shelf and put it to work to help our people, right? Like you said, I, you, you shouldn't be the only one. You started this show saying what? I'm tired. I'm tired, right? But what happens if there's a cadre of Darius Bactors, right? That's thinking not only of how do I move my folks out of poverty, but right, I think about my, my frat brother in Houston, Chris Senegal, right? Who's talk, who talks about buying up the block, right? And not, not revitalizing the neighborhood so other folks can come in, but revitalizing the neighborhood so we can keep our folks there, right? And not raising rents or raising housing prices so people can still afford to live in the neighborhoods that, that, that their loved ones have lived in for generations. 
but we're thinking about wealth creation, right? We're thinking about living in the Hamptons. We're thinking about going to Tulum or Playa del Carmen and all the different things, right? And saying like, yo, well, I, I've made it. But you can't just make it and not lift as you climb, as the Good Brothers of Omega say, right? It's lifting as we climb and moving and moving that space. So I applaud you for what you do, dear brother, because too often we can and sit I, I, on the sidelines. Yeah, and I'll take it a step. We're not just lifting while you climb. You need to be building an escalator. <laughs> like, you know, that's, and, and seriously, that's, that's one of the, even one of the, the things that we... Uh, we struggle with as a community you know it's like everybody got to get it on their own we make you tough and everything i got tons of white mentors they ain't thinking like that they're like i'm gonna pave this ways to make it easier for my kids and then they're gonna pave an even wider path to make it easier for their kids and then we're gonna get to a point where we got a whole canal that people can come through and then we're gonna build a bridge that you gotta pay to come through this thing <laughs> and we're not thinking about it like that like at the end of the day uh, but all of us, at, at, all of us at the end of it, have been called to serve. Like all of us have been called to serve, whether you black, white, red, green, yellow, purple, um, teal, or even rainbow. Like I don't know, but like we've all been called to serve. But it's it's it be, it is becoming increasingly easy in our culture to ignore that call, mm. and we can sort of we can and people will argue against that so then the place that we sit like you this corporate social responsibility time everybody and their mother got some cause they fighting for but like to truly serve to put yourself in a line of fire like it, like to be willing to risk like what, what what if you're not waking up risking something to try to make the world better then like you know, it, it's gonna be hard when you standing in front of the, the pearly gates and God be like, "What did you add? What did you do to make the world better?" And you be like, "Uh, I, 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 um, I volunteered at a soup kitchen at a company event on a Tuesday one time. I gave a, like, I gave a dollar to a homeless man uh, in like 1990. Yeah." Um, <laughs> Yeah, but then he, then he gonna have. I think God gonna have like a highlight tape of our lives when we get out there. You know what I mean? Like, that one time you did it, but here's the fifty million times you walked past the, like, and you told him you ain't had none when you had some bread in your pocket. Like, you know, and I'm glad you bring it home. Like, I would implore people to even listen to my podcast, The Right to Shower. You can find it on any podcast platform. We interview homeless people, and just even hearing some of the things that they go through is just like, I don't know, man. This. I'm on one this morning if you can't no, tell. Brother, and, 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 <laughs> and stay on that. Stay on. Because I want to tell you a story, man. It's, it's interesting yeah. because, you know, I, I talk about my beloved New Orleans so much on this show. I, I spent, you know, 15 years from 05 to 20 in New Orleans. And New Orleans is my second home. I mean, I, I'm a New Orleanian. Right. You know, when I'm in New Orleans, my my my, my twang changes a little bit. You know, my my my, my southern drawl comes out, you know, it's say, bro, how you feel, you know, <laughs> you know, um, AI. you know, but but the, the, the thing about being of service. Right. And, 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 and what what that means. Right. For us to be a service, we have to be able to risk that. Like, I love what you said, that if you don't wake up thinking about how you're going to risk something for someone else right you're not you're not living you can't you can't live right you can't live a meaningful and as we say a meaningful revolutionary life if you think that your revolution of this life is just for you it's not it's not just for you there's a there's a a, a man on the street that's looking at you Darius right there's a little boy a little girl right right or 
you know, on down the spectrum that's looking at you and saying, hey, this brother's out here changing the world. What can I do? How can I be different? How can I shift? How can I shift what I'm doing right now, right, to have a better life, right, to have a better life for my folks, right? Good projects is right. You can say good projects is just not for Darius Baxter, the luminary, for him to get all the awards, all the things. They are staff members, right, who do this work that believe in you, that believe in this revolution, that believe in this dream. There are folks that are looking for this. If you had not thought about how can I be of service to someone else? Those 45 families or 50 families that you have impacted or 65 families that you've impacted so far, where would they be now? Where, where would they be? And I think that we all have to think, and I'll get off, I'll get off my, my soapbox, that we all have to think about how we can be in service of others for a more meaningful life, dear brother. So thank you for sharing that with me. I want to do a little bit of a deeper dive, right? It's easy to talk about your work. It's easy to talk about good projects and all the things like being booked. But my revolutionaries like to know who my guests are, right? Tell, tell us a little bit about you. Like, just tell us what a little you bit know? about you. What's the, what's, the, what's, the, what's the thing that people don't know about Darius that the world might want to know? Hmm. I don't know. I'm a triple Virgo. Sushi's my favorite food. Um, certified lover boy. Certified double platinum lover boy. Straight up. Like, um, I don't know. Pretty simple guy. Yeah. No. Um, so that's my point. It's like I'm not. I'm special because I'm Stephanie's son. That makes me special. But I wake up. I put my pants on like everybody else. Um, yeah. I just. I just try to love love wholeheartedly love my work love the people that I have the opportunity to come in contact with love the children that I work with just just be present in every experience and opportunity yes. and I'm pretty pretty simple guy that's a beautiful thing man you've said <laughs> yeah, Stephanie's I like music son. you've said Stephanie's son a couple of times man can we talk yeah. about your your relationship with your mother and what that means for you and how it how it has catapulted you throughout your life yeah, my first example of what dedication and service looks like. Um, you know, my mother and father, to raise two boys through 90s DC in the midst of uh, the period when we were not only the murder capital, but through the crack era, um, just, I can't imagine. I can't, I definitely can't imagine. And they did it, they did it with so much, so much passion. Like, and then even after my father passed away, for my mother to have to take on that burden um, of, yeah, she had to take on a burden. She was a teacher, and teachers weren't making that much yeah. money back then. Mm -hmm. And we definitely hit a, a little bit of a low um, in those early years. But just seeing how she was able to keep the train on the tracks while still pursuing, uh, like, she went and got her master's, uh, made sure that we were always fed, clothed, kept us in private school. Uh, kept us engaged in sports, um, was able to instill in us at a very young age the importance of education while still dedicating her whole self to the students that she had in the classroom to the point she, uh, my sister, um, she literally brought my sister home one day from school. <laughs> it's like, 
Ma, you know it's a little girl in our living room. Yeah, she gonna be staying with us now. I'm like, what? What's this? Like thirteen. I'm like, all right. Like, we got a sister there. Yeah, and I love her to death. It's my sister Jasmine. Like my mother. Um, she just. You know, I know people got great moms, but I I don't think that there's any. It's any better better woman, man, that God put on this earth than that lady, Stephanie Page Baxter. And I'm blessed and honored to have the opportunity to work with her now. Uh, she runs our youth program. And, and even now, like, you you see my title CEO, but she really the boss, and she know <laughs> it too. Like, you know, like, just just follow, continuing to just follow her lead of what it means to live a life of service. Mm-hmm. That, she's an amazing example for me and my brother. He works with us too. Like, it's just it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. I'm happy to see the joy on your face when you talk about your mother. And I, you know, to hear that, you know, that love and reverence for your family. And I talk about, you know, my, I had my mother on the show when I, early, early on, you know, and, you know, I was like, uh, mom was like, I want to come on your show. I was like, mom, I don't know. I don't know about this, right? My mom has been one of the most prolific guests that we've had on the show in the last five and a half years, right? Certainly. You know, she, she, would, she would love when she hears the show, you talk about your spirituality and the impact of God's grace on you and your work. And, yeah. you know, but to have someone who cares and loves you, you know, unabashedly, like through, through and through. And I, look, I know these days as I go through all, all of the things, I can be a little short with my mother, you know, but still her grace, right? Knowing that, right? Knowing that, uh, hey, if I need a place, if I need a place to rest my head when I'm uh, in between houses, you know, if I need some food or, you know, something, right? I can go, I can, I can go to my mom's crib, right? And my mom's going to provide for me. She's going, she's, she's always been the provider. And even now she takes care of my, you know, my 93 year old father, she is the she is the linchpin in, in what we do. So mothers, I, I say this right. In 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 standing up, right, standing up and and shouting loudly in applause for your mother and raising a wonderful, amazing son and brother and sister, you know, because you, you think about that. Uh, many of our compadres, right, they may not have the strong parents in their lives and they struggle a little bit harder, um, and that's the work that we do to make sure that we can show up for them. And, and my, you know, as you said, our mothers and families have brought people in. There are so many people that call my mom, mom, as I'm sure that there's a ton of folks that call your mom, mom, because they're yeah, just yeah. these women in the world, right? They see them, right? They haven't had this type of love. And I'm sure that Stephanie and Bertha, if they got together, they would just be like, you know, kind of like their wonder twin power, just illuminating love out into the world. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's, that's, that's their revolution. That's their, that's their superpowers, dear brother. So please tell yeah, your man. mother that uh, thank you uh, for all the great work that she's done and is, continues to do with you and your brother and all the work that you're doing in D.C., I want to talk a little bit about it because we don't talk about this as much on the on the show because not that it's taboo. It's just I I need to do a better job. But talk about your spirituality, Darius, and the importance of that, right? Because we struggle, right? And spirituality can be the one I'm I'm going to call it the panacea that that moves us through. What was the grounding moment for you and you realized that your spirituality, right, your belief systems in this were going to uplift you through the challenging times? Well, the Bible talks about you know training a child up in the way that they should go and they should never depart. Um, I love that verse in the Bible because it's like, um, you know, think throughout all, just 
being a young person, you look at the story of the prodigal son. And think all of us in our own ways don't want to compare our lives to it, but I guarantee you, everybody in their own way been a prodigal son at some point. Uh, I definitely had uh, those periods in my life. Um, I was 17 years old when I started college, uh, and loved my mother to death, but she made it very clear <laughs> um, that her responsibility was to get me through high school. That's <laughs> so it, that's it. <laughs> so uh, when I got to uh, when I got to college, uh, even as young as I was, it was really the first time in my life that I was on my own. Um, on my own financially, on my own like, managing my day-to-day functions, um, and on top of it, playing Division One college athletics. You know, I had a lot of responsibility at a very young age, um, and I struggled. I struggled very early on. Um, found myself getting caught up in. You would think, like at a PWI, that it's sort of this uh, it's this gated community of just uh, just love and support and. Everybody smelling flowers and eating picnic and doing picnics out on the lawn and stuff. But no, it was it was definitely a shift. Like getting exposed to drugs for the first time, getting exposed to alcohol for the first time. Um, the freedom to just I had a room I could have sex in any time that I wanted, and I found myself going down this really dark road at a very young age, and um, had a number of different hurdles and obstacles that I had to overcome while I was in college, and. You know, similar to how we started this conversation, I didn't set out to become sort of uh, like who I guess the world recognizes me at this point. I didn't set out to do that. Um, even at 21 years old, when I started Good Projects, um, it was to go back and to serve. I didn't do it for recognition. I didn't do it for notoriety. I didn't do it to, you know, um, I wasn't, I didn't get paid. <laughs> volunteering. Like, uh, yeah. Uh, so there was, there were certain things even within my spirit and my character that I didn't necessarily feel I needed to adjust because I didn't see myself as a, sort of a public figure or a leader of a community. So still continue down a certain road and uh, say, be careful what you ask God for because you just might get it yeah. because even though I was still sort of struggling with all of those demons that I had sort of developed throughout college while still dealing with the trauma of um, my childhood and my past and all the things that I had to overcome, not recognizing those things and how they were affecting me, uh, I hit a super low. I'll call it a super low. Like, a super low in the sense of, like, I didn't, like, despite the fact that, like, Good Projects grew so quickly, like, in our first two years, um, we had grown to a budget of over two point, like, two million dollars. Congratulations. It's crazy, like, uh, well, just <laughs> caveat for the story, you know, like, um, like getting jetted around, doing all of these things. Like we're having, we're running multiple programs with the city. Um, but at night, I was still living a life that I wasn't proud of. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and on top of it, constantly being exposed to trauma. Like even though I hadn't worked through my own. Like um, at that time, we were doing a lot of work in juvenile prisons. Mm-hmm. So I would be with a kid one day. The next day, I would get a call that they had just been shot. Um, or I would be with a kid, and then I. Like I'm finding out that they've been put in sex trafficking or something. Like, so I'm constantly being exposed to all of these traumas, these traumas, and I'm only 22, 23 years old at the time, still having to manage this um, organization that's getting national attention. Um, while again, still dealing with being a human being, and how was I coping with that? The same ways I was, you know, very early on when I was dealing with the transition in college from going from this predominantly African-American community to this predominantly white community, not understanding that I was depressed at that time, dealing with it with drugs, alcohol, and sex. 
And so it was this like really tough period leading up to 2019 where I was hitting, where I hit a really low low where like I was drinking like every night. Mm. It was crazy. I was drinking like every night. And I just felt like I was living just not even in the moment. I was just, everything was just sort of on autopilot. But at the same time, and this is, the devil will often try to use, and this is where we have to always be mindful of, the devil will sometimes use things that you think are a blessing and use them against you. Where I thought it was a blessing that I was getting on his attention, I'm doing all of these things, but they were eating away, chewing away at me on the inside, slowly, 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 slowly. Uh, but by the grace of God, you know, it was just this calling over my life that I felt like I couldn't stop because I was like, if I stop, then all of this stuff is just gonna blow up. And um, but I was just like, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I didn't do, I didn't start it for all of this stuff. And if it all goes away, it can go, mm. and I can still come back and do this right. work. So I left the country for two months. I just left. Um, I gave people some notice, but. Um, <laughs> I was just like, yeah, like, I need a, I, I just, I can't do this. Like, this is not, like, and again, it, and this is, again, like, people will look at your life and be like, damn, how could you, and we see this so often with celebrities, they're like, how could you not be happy with this lifestyle and these things, and you're getting, you're getting all of these things and all these accolades, and then for me, it was just like, this isn't what I did it for, this isn't bringing me joy, this isn't bringing me any closer to God. I'm spending five, six days a week traveling to raise money and to go speak on stages and I'm not having any time to be in the community that I love and want to serve um, and that just wasn't the lifestyle that I wanted for myself um, so I went to Africa and it's uh, in Africa and I implore anybody if you're I know the summertime is coming up and I don't know when this podcast is going to be released but as they're starting to plan their travels like to break free from sort of just Eurocentric way of even traveling and I encourage everybody to go back to the motherland and I'm not going to say even at least once like but make that part of a staple of your travel there's so many different countries to visit so many different beautiful places like um, but I was just like I'm going to go to Africa I went there no phone uh, no work like or I thought no work but just went there to like try to because it was such a loud world here in the States I was just like I'm going to go there to try to seek God's voice Mm. and uh in very short order, my first night there, uh, dominoes fell, and uh, and I did. Wow. And long story short, here we are all these years later, and actually Sunday, I'm heading back to um, a project that I started there on that trip where we actually launched a school, mm-hmm. and now we have 200 kids in that school. Um, so always going back there refills my cup because it's like in the purest form, just seeing those teachers, like, there, a lot of them are volunteers, like working in a slum, like just doing the work for the purest form. Like, like these people, you would never even know. Like nobody even knows they exist. Nobody knows the impact they're having on these children that literally have nothing, but they do it and they do it with so much love and compassion. And every time I go there, I, I have learned from them. Um, but to answer your question, it was like I always sort of felt this. Like every time I stray away, like from what I'm supposed to be doing here. It's like God has this uh, has this way of drawing me back. And one thing as I've gotten older now, and I hope this resonates with some of the listeners, I had to start having real conversations with myself. Like, why are you feeling this way? Like, I would hit these points where I would just hit really low lows. Like, even after I made it through that struggle, and it was during the excuse me, it was during the pandemic that uh, that I wanted to truly find out. Like, I realized. I couldn't do it by myself. Like, there's no reason 
that I should be feeling this way. It's no reason why I should be wanting to turn to drugs, sex, and alcohol just to, you know, get through a week. And uh, I found out just talking to my physician, we did uh, we did a lot of stuff to try to figure it out, just being open and honest with my primary care doctor, like, yo, like, I'm not okay. Mm. Um, we found out that I, I have hypothyroidism. Um, and it, like, changed my whole life. Changed everything. Like, here I was for almost a decade suffering in silence um, where I didn't, like, if I had just, maybe if I had had more supports when I was younger or been more vocal, um, I would have found out earlier, but literally found out that it wasn't sort of even in my mental, but physiologically, my body wasn't producing enough <laughs> hormones to, like, keep my <laughs> keep my spirit up. Yeah. And it was like, uh, and it, it was causing clinical depression. Like, so it was like this literal, like this awakening moment, like, oh my gosh, like I'm not just this mopey nigga. Like, <laughs> this, like, this, like, like, like we can fix this. Right. Like, and, the, the and so, yeah. And like, and just in knowing that just has drawn me even closer to God because knowing now that I'll have that struggle for you know, we, there's things that we do to manage it, but some, something I'll have to manage for the rest of my life. I wake up every day and just am even more steadfast to just ask God to just continue to support me and keep me strong because this work is not easy. And while I can more confidently say, like, I need a break, and when I say I need a break, <laughs> I break. need my break. <laughs> I'm going to take it. Break, brother. Man, um, you know, the 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 the, the doc, Dr. Corbett just loved, just loved that story, right? Because thinking about sitting in quiet, right? And, and, and oftentimes we, we, we have to be self-aware, Darius. We have to sit in quiet. We have to ask those pertinent questions like, why do I feel this way? Right. And oftentimes we've talked about John Henryism at the, at the, at the outset of this show. We talked about, right, we've been socialized like like I, I should feel like this, right? Like this is this is what we do. This is this is the struggles as as men. We're supposed to carry this, right? This is this is what we are. I've I've seen other people carry this, right? So this is just normal. It's ordinary, right? But listening to yourself and asking those questions, revolutionaries, right? Should I feel this way every day? Is this characteristics of what the rest of the folks are 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 feeling like? Is there something I can do? But oftentimes, you know, when we're in the positions like you are, you just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. You just keep going. And then what happens, Darius, is you know, we will break down, right? And sometimes the way that we break down is deleterious not only to ourselves but to others, right? And if we don't listen to ourselves, if we don't ask that question, what's wrong? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel this way time and time again? And letting, right, and letting the spirit talk to us is the key. Man, thank you for sharing that, brother. I, I'm, I'm grateful for your ability to share, sharing that vulnerable moment because oftentimes that story may not come out. And do you know how many people are going to listen to that piece here and they're going to go to their doctor and say, hey, can you check my thyroid? Yeah, well, cra cra crazy enough, uh, I've never shared that with anybody outside of my family. Mm -hmm. So. But just understanding who your listener base is, I hope that that can inspire somebody to understand. Like, you know, back to the spirituality piece, God didn't put us here to suffer. Like, we've been so, we, we convince ourselves, like, okay, I just suffered through this and then my reward will be great in heaven. But, like, no, like, your reward can be great on earth and in heaven. Yes. Like, we have not been put here to suffer. Like, and, 
if anybody's suffering, like there's things that you can do to fix that. Like straight up, like straight up and let my life be an example of that. Right. Like it was me recognizing like I don't have to feel this way. Like I I don't think that this is right and having people around me that agreed with that and were like, yo, like I'll do this with you. Like so I can't be obviously I can't jump through the, the your earbuds and be there, but like maybe play this podcast on your way to talk to your primary physician or to talk to your therapist about it and be like, yo, like these are things that I'm I'm going through. Like, can we fix it? Yeah. And fixing it always isn't let me just give you a bunch of prescription medication or antidepressants. Like, but there's ways to feel supported and to feel loved and to get through these challenges and these struggles. Yeah. Like, and I'll tell you, and again, personally, and it's not a, and you can't think of it like a zero-sum game. Like, okay, once you find out, then, okay, all of a sudden things are good. Like, every day, and, and uh, my social media followers probably witness my highs and lows the most. They be like, this man up one day, he down one day. Like, it was like, what are you doing? <laughs> but it's like every day you just have to make the decision. Like, I want to... I want to do better. I want to be better. Like, I want to be happy. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's a struggle, but it's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful journey. And it's interesting that you say that because Julian Gordon, uh, another real estate, you know, uh, mogul brother who, you know, is really grounded in his spirituality, says that he was like, I was not put on this earth to suffer. Right. I was put on this earth to experience joy and to the, in the fullest of our lives. And I'm going to wake up every morning choosing joy right? Choosing a way to fulfill my purpose in this life. And if we think about that, right? Because brother, to be one of you, I, you know, I, I wake up a lot of times angry, very, very angry, right? And have to have to work through that anger and that feeling of, of loss, you know, many mornings and work through that. So thank you for sharing that, man, because it, it makes me think like, what, what else do I need to do? Because I don't want to wake up like that. I don't want to wake up angry like that. You know, I, I find myself I, the only I, time I, 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 I go ahead, brother. I'm gonna say I prescribe you Tom Mesh beat tape too. Anytime you're feeling angry, just play that and make you feel better. <laughs> All right, word. I got, I got that. I got that. I always say the the, the, the antidote is that if somebody's in bed with me, uh, <laughs> I, I tend to wake up happier, right? <laughs> for some for some reason. Right? Stop. My mom might be listening. Yeah, Stop it. <laughs> right? I know. You know. I'm like, oh, oh, you here with me today? Uh, I think I'm gonna wake up less angry. I'm gonna wake up less angry. Bro, we're gonna begin to close out, man. I just really appreciate the time, man. This is, you know, I am, I, I'm just tremendously grateful to be able to interview amazing brothers, as we say, dope brothers, dope black men doing dope black ish. Um, but I have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to the show, and shout out to my uh, my folks at Camelback Ventures. You know, to hear you talk about scaling so quickly, right? In two years, many of our entrepreneurs, right, they're still trying to find their footing three, four, five years after conception, right? What would you say to budding entrepreneurs who are trying to build impact organizations, right? As they're, as they're moving through those initial paces of building their ventures, what advice would you give them? Make some impact. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, make some impact. That's it. Like, everybody's so worried about a marketing campaign. Like, have some impact. Like people will fund that. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> produce some outcomes. Like yeah. everybody worried about building their website and you know how my social media gonna look or you know who do I need to get in front of to talk about what I think I might want to do. Like go out into the world, mm -hmm. have some impact, make your impact undeniable. People will notice. Yeah. 
There you go. <laughs> I think that's the key. Make your impact undeniable. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems it seems difficult, but yeah, just my friends ask me the same thing. Like, I'm probably the worst consultant in the world. They'd be like, I have I have this idea, I have that idea. Uh, here's my business plan. Da, da, da. All right, what advice you got for us, Bax? Do it. Do it. <laughs> what? Like, yeah, every idea is a great idea once you do it. Right. Like, and you got to keep at it. You got to be consistent. Right? You got to yeah. be consistent at the impact. Yeah. People just love talking about what they want to do. Like, there's literally a whole industry that people just sit in the room talking about stuff. Like, but. I don't know. That's never been my shtick. <laughs> like, no. As you as as you said, you are you are a doer. You said this is the revolution, and I'm pulling it off the shelf, and I'm going to execute it. And that's that's the biggest thing for me: execution. Right? Ideas mm-hmm. are wonderful things, but people who can execute, those are the people who change the world. Right? So thinking yeah. thinking about that, we're going to close out. Let me ask you this last question, dear brother. Um, Certainly. You know, uh, we we start the show with what's your revolution. If you had an, if you had a tip or a strategy of how folks can fulfill their revolution, what might it be? What would you say to them? If you're gonna, I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I got my revolution, Darius. How do I fulfill it? Make sure you get eight hours of sleep a night. Um, pray a few times a day. Uh, make sure you have a strong support system. More often than not, that support system will be your family. Never take them for granted. Uh, the road will be tough, uh, but what worth accomplishing isn't. Yeah. Yep. And just lead with love. Mm. Yeah, dear brother, those are those are amazing tips. Right, thinking about that, those are those are those are the foundations of what we need. And, and knowing that we can't do our revolutions alone, right? And you know that the impact that you're making, you had to get in front of folks, right, so they could they could fund your revolution, right? They came with you, and then you, because they came with you, you were able to bring other folks with you. You cannot build your revolutions alone. You can't have impact alone, revolutionaries. Darius, look, brother, I know you're going away. I wish you well. I wish you, look. I, I'm out. I, yeah, I, look. I'm out. I, look, I, look, we hope to see you on the other side doing amazing, knowing that you will be doing amazing things, but take this time for rest, and peace and thank you for giving us and gracing this platform and our revolutionaries with your voice man no 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 brother thank you for creating this platform for dope black brothers doing dope black shit i'll say it <laughs> you know, like, i love no, it this is awesome to be that revolutionary not to be ironic but to be that revolutionary is something that should not be taken for granted thank you for all that you do thank for your consistency to do something for five months let alone well actually do something for five weeks let alone five months let alone five years um speaks to your character your drive and your commitment you are truly an example um, and I can tell the dis- you pretty swole too. I can see too. So you <laughs> I got some discipline my, in I there. I put on my medium t-shirt today because <laughs> I knew you were gonna wear the good. I was like, I gotta, I gotta wear my Western Revolution t-shirt. <laughs> nah, I ain't mad at it, man. I ain't mad at it. But nah, it's a uh, thank you, thank you for all you do, um, and may Camelback continue to grow and flourish. Uh, you gonna be the the first uh, Charles Corporal, and then uh, you and Robert Smith hitting your line. Talking about, uh, <laughs> exactly. I need some VC advice. Yeah. Hey, please, please, anytime, dear brother. Be well, and I look forward to talking to you again soon, dear brother. Certainly. God is good because that is their nature. Let's get it. There you go. Revolution, as you know, we always ask you to be able to answer the most thought-provoking question of your life. What's your revolution? Have a good week. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Peace. 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 I love you. I love you.
worth accomplishing, is it? And just lead with love. Mm.